Hey guys, welcome to Lords of Order, a DC Comics Doctor Fate fan podcast. I'm your host, Ed Moore, and there will be spoilers in this episode, although for this episode, the spoilers are of More Fun Comics issue 81, the... Uh, 1936 volume of More Fun Comics, issue 81, cover dated July 1942. So if you get upset at me about spoiling that, that's over, what, 70 years old, almost 75, well, I'll apologize, but with tongue in cheek, you know, I don't really mean it. For those of you that are inclined to feedback, you can do so at the Dr. Fate Fan Podcast at gmail.com. Comments for the website, bigtimenoise.com slash drfate. Twitter comments, Teal, T-E-A-L, Productions. And Facebook and Google Plus commenting, Lords of Order has pages on both of those. So this issue, 81 of More Fun Comics, was scripted by Gardner Fox, penciled, inked, and lettered by Howard Sherman. It is entitled, Hall of Lost Heirs. And it can be found reprinted in the Golden Age Dr. Fate archives, which is the only one that DC has put out so far. So that is where you can find this uh, if you choose to. Other than the original More Fun Comics issue, of course. Good luck. And as just a side note, um, in the chronological covering of Dr. Fate that I have been attempting to do. It's gotten a little bit more muddled now with the introduction of All-Star Comics. Uh, excuse me, All-Star Squadron. Um, All-Star Squadron issues 1 through 5 occur between All-Star Comics 10 and 11. 11 was the most recent issue of All-Star Comics that I have talked about, and that was back in episode 70. And then Issues 6 through 28 of All-Star Squadron occur between 11 and 12 of All-Star Comics. Now, that's the original run of All-Star Comics from the 1940s. With particular interest that All-Star Squadron issues 19 and 20 directly impact and, uh, dare I say, retcon some things that happened in All-Star Comics 11. So I have I've been able to place them that much. Now, my coverage of All-Star Squadron is going to be kind of spotty really if at all because that does not focus as much on Dr. Fate as it does Teams, Justice Society, um All-Star Squadron, of course, hence the name of the book. So how deeply I'm going to cover it is going to vary from issue to issue takes me a little bit more time to go through those and determine if I want to cover them. So that may be that may affect um, the comings out of the episodes for the next little while as I kind of slog through those to figure out if I want to cover it. Does it do enough with Dr. Fate, really, is, is my thoughts to, to really want to cover it. However, this, issue 81 of More Fun Comics, the Hall of Lost Heirs story does directly affect Dr. Fate. And we start out with the splash page, a really weird splash page. Dr. Fate is doing his uh, flying run thing through some big curtains into a room. And in the room is just a, a gaggle of people. One is a young lady in a green dress with green hair and green lipstick. 
I don't know if it's all meant to be green, but it is nonetheless. Uh, there's a gentleman over here playing a violin, which kind of plays a part in the story. Some thugs, another young lady smoking one of those real thin cigarette things, you know, that uh, high society people did in like the 20s and 30s. And our main antagonist, who is a guy with a head and face that looks like a clock face. And again, that bears uh, directly to the story. We will find out why that is. But our narrator tells us, calling all John Doe's, are you the missing heir to a forgotten fortune? Are you mentioned in the will of some distant unknown relative? Then listen in to the weekly broadcast of the Hall of Lost Heirs. For over the national, for over the airwaves of the nation, pour tales of a golden harvest waiting for those who recognize themselves as characters in the human dramas of the microphone, the Lost Heirs program. And it is at a Lost Air broadcast that begins the strangest tale of mystery and adventure that Dr. Fate has ever encountered, a story whose trail's end occurs at the Hall of Lost Heirs. And inset in the whole page is a circle panel that is the recording of a radio program, uh, an episode of the Lost Airs show. So that's really where the story begins. But we have a, uh, a slight throwback to previous times, uh, approximately two years ago we find out, and we see a gentleman who is slaving over learning to play the violin. Now he is an older gentleman already. And his goal is to win the approval of his father and show him that he, this gentleman that we see, can make a living playing the violin like his father had in the past. He has a girlfriend. Her name is Erna Handley. I think it's an N. E-R-N-A. Erna Handley. And she is with him. But she, uh, he, he, and we find out his name is Stanley, will not marry her until he can make a living with his violin. That way she doesn't marry poor. She, she marries wealthy or well-off, you know, whichever it's going to be. Stanley Kovacs is his name. We see at the same time, um, I, I, I think it's at the same time that this flashback occurs, Stanley's father is, is dying well, finally, two years later, we catch up with Erna, who is still aware that Stanley is slaving to acquire the proficiency on a uh, violin that he feels his dad, Stan, uh, his his dad had, Mister Kovacs. It doesn't doesn't give his name. Sorry. Now we are caught up. We have just finished a recording of The Lost Heirs. Kent Nelson and Inza are both there, as well as a lawyer friend of theirs. And he is not given a name. But a phone call comes in to the host of the radio show. The radio show was just concerning... Stanley Kovacs, who has not been seen for two years. Now, to me, this is kind of confusing because his girlfriend here, uh, Enra, 
Is that what I said? Is her name was? I'm sorry, Erna. Erna uh, knows where he is because there's a. So I'm not quite sure I completely understand what's going on here, but I'll try to sally forth anyways. Stanley calls saying that he is the Stanley Kovacs that they just had the Lost Heirs program about, apparently because when Kovacs' father died, he he left money behind. So if they can just find and identify Stanley, he will get his father's inheritance. So Stanley is calling in, having just heard the radio broadcast. Kent and Inza are on on the other side of that phone conversation. They hear the radio host's side. And Kent just remarks, you know, it's it's interesting. It's odd that as soon as that program finished airing, Stanley called. You know, um, to me, I don't know. I mean, if Stanley was sitting there listening to the radio, of course he would have called us and it was, it was over. So, I don't know. But that, that tells you that something is going to be up. Kent is suspicious. So the radio producer makes plans to go speak to Stanley Kovacs and asks Kent and uh, Enza to go with him. After the meeting, Kent tells the producer that, you know, I'm really suspicious now because, as he said, a violinist's left hand is calloused at the tips of the forefingers where he holds the bow of the instrument. That man's hands were soft all over. Now, if you'll forgive me, I have some matters to attend to. So, holding... I, I don't understand... Your, your bow hand, I didn't think, is going to take all the abuse. I thought the fingers that finger the frets on the violin are going to be where it gets calloused. So, that's not the bow. That's what the bridge, maybe, is what it's called. Frets, if if that is the same terminology with violins. So I don't know if maybe there's something about holding a bow that I don't understand. I myself have never had violin lessons. I have no clue. Or if, in telling the story, they've made a mistake about which hands, you know, just kind of a lack of research, which obviously I have not done much of either. So then we cut uh, the the narrator tells us at that moment a sinister figure laughs grimly his rounded moon face split with a fiendish mirth and we see this gentleman and he is called by um well no he he refers to himself as the clock and he has a perfectly round head with with a mustache and a nose that looks like the centerpiece and hands of a clock he has eyes eyebrows mouth ears but a very much clock ish clock-esque face so apparently the clock is behind this hall of lost heirs because what he does is he has an insight in the radio production and he knows who is going to be profiled before it occurs he then takes that information. He finds someone who resembles that person enough, educates them on what they will need to know about that person to convince others that they are indeed that person. They then win or, or are granted the, uh, the, the airship, the airdom that is being discussed. 
And in return for receiving that money, a portion of it goes to the clock. He also has found and has imprisoned the real heirs. So he uh, sets up a ringer, kidnaps and holds hostage the real, and then makes money when the ringer receives the money that is due the actual heir who is, is being held captive. So that's that's the scam. The clock wants to check in on the Stanley Kovacs uh, duplicate, let's say. And so he, he has some equipment that his henchman refers to as a dictaphone and a dictavisa. D-I-C-T-A-V-I-S-A. Dictavisa. Uh, to hear and listen over distance, I would assume. Tunes it in to Kovacs' room as as Kovacs comes in after having met with the radio producer Kent Enenza. And he goes into his room and he finds that Dr. Fate is waiting there for him. The fake Stanley Kovacs grabs a gun, pulls the gun on Dr. Fate, who tells him as he is punching him, this is my prescription for your trouble. Arrest cure until you get well enough to tell me what you know. Clock sends other henchmen to Kovacs' place. Henchmen named Hunk, Gunner. I thought there was a third. I apologize. Just the two. So they go over to handle Dr. Fate, to bring Dr. Fate to Clock, which is what Clock wants, because now he sees Dr. Fate is meddling in his affairs, in his schemes. So, the thugs go by way of secret passages, which to me is kind of interesting, because if they're having to watch remotely, but yet they're close enough to get there by secret passages, that just seems kind of odd to me. But they try to sneak up on Fate. He hears them. Um, Actually, three thugs were sent. One is a nameless thug. Dr. Fate starts hand-to-hand with all of them. Uh, They're off, as the barber said, as he cuts the man's hair. Dr. Fate says at one point to them, This is where I spring into the affair as he pushes off the bed that's in the room and launches himself at the men. You can all coil up and say uncle now as he's slugging them. Here's making both ends meet as he slams two heads together. While he's doing that, the third henchman goes back through the secret entrance, through the passageway, trying to get to the clock's um, lair, as it were, I guess. Dr. Fate follows him. Ultimately, that's what the clock wanted. He wanted Dr. Fate brought to him. The clock has a trap that is a trap door in the floor Dr. Fate puts his foot right in it Uh, he even says looks as though I'm putting my foot in it he steps on the carpet it gives way he falls narrator tells us his dropping body slams onto a polished incline and the man of mystery falls like a plummet Dr. Fate saying somebody is sure putting the skids under me he falls into a circular bricked structure with water at the bottom saying well well a well as he falls yeah this is this is getting really bad he falls into the water finds that the walls are too slippery to hold on to and the water is making him go numb because of how cold the water is so we cut back up 
uh, upstairs, up higher up in whatever this lair is, and the clock is talking. He and his henchmen now are going to go to the radio station, WWMM, to get the radio producer behind the program because he feels that he needs to be replaced in order for the clock to keep up his scam. And while they're there, Inza is also uh, still there from where Kent left immediately after the interview with Kovacs by the three of them. So the radio producer and Enza are still together. They both get kidnapped, taken by the clock. Uh, Narrator tells us the steady tick-tock of numerous clocks measures the rapid pace of time as the clock awaits his messengers. So it appears as though he has a storefront or a brick-and-mortar of some sort that is a clock shop, uh, repair maybe, or just sales. Don't really know. And they bring in the radio producer and Enza, take them downstairs to a lower level. Enza and the producer are tied up. However, the makeup artist that the clock has employed, who does work on others to make them look like the heirs already, we have seen him, gets an actor and makes him up to look like the producer. So the clock is preparing to do with the producer the same as he has done with the other heirs that he has kidnapped. So he sets his stooge on his way to take over for the radio producer. Inza and the actual producer are left here discussing, you know, I guess there's there's no hope. Looks like we're stuck now. And Inza, ever being the um, positive one, says, never fear, Dr. Fate is still out there. He will help us. Which is a good segue because we cut to Dr. Fate. He has now dove into the water to go to the bottom to see what's up with the bottom of the well. Finds a water-soaked, soaked, excuse me, water-soaked log that he's going to use as a weapon somehow. Narrator tells us log in hand, fate threshes water as he swims straight up, buoyed by the air in his mighty lungs. So now he's swimming up through the water as fast as he can, toting this water-soaked log that appears to be as large as he is, even larger by a little bit. Well, he gets to the surface of the water, and he swims so fast that he's able to catapult out of the surface, the log held in front of him kind of like a lance, and he hits a spigot that starts filling the well. And it is only one, two, three, four, five, six courses of brick above him. So maybe as high as he is. The well is much deeper than this. Ultimately, the spigot fills the well. Dr. Fate buoyed on top of the water until he is able to climb up out of the well because the well has filled that full. I kind of find that interesting because the spigot would be much, much, much below the water level. And I would suspect that it would stop filling because of back pressure. But but again, one of the... Okay, that's how they had it set up, the, the writer. So it works. Dr. Fate gets out, starts looking around, finds a back entrance into the clock shop portion. Goes into other back rooms and finds Inza tied up subdues the clock, subdues the uh, thugs that are here. Much, uh, (laughs) 
useless banter by Dr. Fate. Here's where you go back for repairs, clock, as he rushes into the room. I'll bet your head's ringing like an alarm right now as he punches the clock. Let's all knuckle down to business for a few minutes as he's beating up the thugs, all of which are being knocked around with their tongues lolling out of their mouth. Unties Enza, and the clock asks him, now in the last couple panels, how did you know that the clock shop that you found was my shop that was was the correct shop. Dr. Fate tells him most clocks in a clock store are set at 820, supposedly in memory of the hour when Abraham Lincoln died. But your clocks weren't. I figured it was a false front, and I was right. And the clock responds, Bah! Why didn't I know that? And finally, the narrator tells us, thrilled to the exploits of the Man of Mystery every month in more fun comics. Um... Dr. Fate is starting to get more and more goofy, golden agey as we go here. Uh, I, I really like the original, the, the starts of Dr. Fate more than where he's trending now, but the quips and, okay, that's what entertained people at that time, and I'm entertained for the first couple, but after, you know, 10 to 15 quips, it gets kind of old. Then again, these weren't necessarily designed for people my age adults, you know. I guess you could argue that I'm an adult, whatever. Uh, They were intended for much younger consumption, so maybe those quips worked. I I don't even know if those quips would work now for people that same age now. Uh, Different different sensibilities, I would think. Either way, um, the clock was uh, an interesting character. Perhaps he'll show up again. I haven't read ahead or done anything like that to see if he shows up again. We'll just uh, gather around our radio every week and see if he does. Next time out, I'll be talking about the current volume of Dr. Fate, the 2015 volume, issue 14, which is the brand new volume. So, uh, if you are interested in that, stay tuned for episode 75. If not, episode 76 should be another Golden Age story that I run through. Thanks a lot for hanging in there with me, guys. I appreciate you listening. Catch you guys later. Lords of Order is a Teal production, and as such is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, non-derivative 3.0 unported license. 